Welcome to All Things Green. I'm Shelby, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Scott Calissimo is the founder of Land, a company that manufactures two-wheel e-mobility and swappable batteries. Scott, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad that you're here today. Let's start with something easy. Tell me where you're from. From Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, born and raised? Born and raised. Uh, moved away for quite a few years, mm -hmm. uh, but I moved back uh, about 2009. And where were you when you moved away? Uh, be easier to tell you where I wasn't. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, so no, I started up in Detroit, uh, then flew all over the U.S., uh, moved to Germany. Mm -hmm. And then when I started my first company, was all over Southeast Asia, India, um, but was based in Ohio back then. Tell me about that first company. Sure. My first company or the first place I went? I guess both. Let's start with the first place you went, I guess. Sure. Uh, so my path to entrepreneurship was uh, non-traditional. Mm -hmm. So I went to art and design school and started in the automotive industry. And, uh, you know, kind of the, some of the first projects I worked on were battery electric vehicles, mm -hmm. hybrid vehicles. Went for a few years in the automotive industry, exited, worked for a company called Tektronic Industries, very large uh, consumer brands company and then started my first company, Cleveland CycleWorks, in 2009. Got it. Let's talk about CycleWorks. Tell me more about what it is and how you got that started. Cool. So, yeah, so Cleveland CycleWorks was, I would consider that like my crash course business school mm. because I went to art school, so I did not have a lot of uh, kind of business cred, but no better way to learn than with your own money and trial by fire. Mm -hmm. So we scaled up a motorcycle manufacturing company starting in 2008, made it official in 2009, and then we manufactured small displacement gas motorcycles that sold in 27 countries. So we quickly went from like a small local brand to a global brand. Got it. So from art and design, you go into motorcycles. Uh, what's the, the motivation for motorcycles in particular? Uh, well, yeah, you know, they, like absence makes the heart grow fonder, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, so I grew up around motorcycles, but was forbidden, uh, for, forbidden? forbidden mm -hmm. from riding motorcycles. Mm. So I didn't actually buy one until I was on my own mm -hmm. because my mom, you know, always threatened, I'll never help you if you need it, if you get a motorcycle. Cause, That's harsh, mom. Yeah, but, you know, she, <laughs> she witnessed my whole family crashing on them, right? Sure. So, um, yeah, so I didn't actually get into motorcycles until my mid-20s and fell in love, started racing, doing track days and everything, mm. which quickly turned into a, more than just a hobby and tried to turn it into my career. And since really 2008, that's kind of been where I stayed. Sounds like a career and maybe a little bit of an obsession in a good way. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I call it an addiction. And, mm. and that's what we find with mobility, especially two-wheel mobility, is it's so easy to do anything else. You can tell the people who get into this generally have a, a passion, mm -hmm. right? Even if it's just a passion to smell, you know, the, the barista or smell, you know, smell and feel what's going on around town. Like it, it's such, so much more intimate than being in a car. Mm -hmm. So people fall into this and, and a lot of them just never leave. Where's the art and design component? And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and that'll come into the work you're doing now, but in the work that you were doing in your early career, were you using what you'd learned or how were you using what you learned in art and design? Yeah. And you know, there's different kinds of designers, right? Mm -hmm. I always had this yearning to just solve very complex, big problems, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't always bode well in the corporate sense. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, Hey, there's this like little thing you got to solve. 
and it's like, well, the whole company's on fire. It's hard to solve this little thing when there's these 20 other things. So the passion was there from the beginning. I just needed to find the outlet to be able to to do those things. Got it. Okay. So you are abroad, you're doing cool things in Germany and Asia, and then eventually you come back to Cleveland and you're at CycleWorks. What, what prompted the move back to Cleveland? Well, so actually I started writing some business models mm-hmm. um, while I was working for my other companies. And I landed in Germany working for a company called Johnson Controls, and mm-hmm. we were doing work for a whole bunch of different OEMs, you know, like Mercedes and Fiat and mm. Autovas and automotive companies. And I started thinking about, okay, this isn't for me. The corporate life isn't my thing. Mm. So started thinking about starting my own company, wrote some business models, wrote a couple business plans, and I saw exactly how much the European Union, like how much Germany took, and I was like, this is not possible. Mm. So I was like, all right, it's not going to happen in Europe. Mm. Um, and at that time, my girlfriend, wife now was mm. like, hey, like, what are you doing? And I was <laughs> like, all right, time to time to kind of find a different path, right? So, sure. And I was looking to get out of the corporate life as well. Got it. Yeah. Uh, I think you also told me uh, while we were prepping that you also did some consulting work trying to get uh, corporate businesses set up for success in going, going green, going clean. Uh, can you tell me more about that? Sure. So, well, that's kind of twofold. So Mm -hmm. um, I funded my first company by originally doing our own work, but consulting Mm -hmm. uh, for for corporations and just kind of design and engineering services for for corporate. So that was the first uh, kind of rendition of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Fast forward a decade later and... um, we actually started working with a, a company called EY. Mm. And that's where we started getting into more of the ESG work. We started getting more into the kind of knowing your product and being able to understand kind of where the materials are coming from and then kind of implementing that across our, our company. Got it. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what that work looks like? Like what is that you're coming into a meeting with an EY. What are they asking you to deliver at the end of that contract? Sure. Um, well, so so to be be clear, we don't we never consulted for EY. Okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. So we were never. Um, what EY does often is they will partner with startups, and you know they will never speak this kind of bluntly, but they're looking for. Because if you're a big consultancy and you work for companies that take two years to implement, Mm -hmm. they were looking for what we call kind of a jockey, Mm. right? So we've had all these ideas and we're like, six months in startup world are probably two to three years in corporate world. So we can take ideas and implement them very quick. So we had this idea for um, what we called battery fingerprint. Mm. They kind of branded battery passport Mm. where you blockchain – um, and it's funny because we don't care about buzzwords. We care about tech um, where you, you take all the information from that battery, right? Is it recycled goods? Where did the um, you know, minerals come from? And then you link that forever to that product. Uh, and then we also link the usage of that product. So now we know when the ba- – because batteries are um, – they will outlive 
there's a useful life in mobility and then they can go into other things. Mm. So now we know when they come out of mobility, what like how good are they for second life, right? Is this a battery we're going to put into energy storage? Are we expecting to last five years, 10 years? Is that battery completely spent, right? We've even got um, um, GPS and impact inside the pack. So like we could tell, okay, well, this this battery's lived a really rough life. Mm. So we're going to recycle this one. This one's not even going to go into second use. So, and then that, by blockchaining it, the you know, the data goes into uh, in, in the cloud and it's stored there and then it's linked to that battery forever. Got it. Um, and, you know, I, I think we talked earlier, I'm not, I, I don't like bullshit. <laughs> in, in our space, there's so much BS. Mm -hmm. And ESG has kind of become synonymous with just, well, we're going to do all this bad stuff and then we're going to put paper on top of it to make it look like we did good. Sure. And that's something I inherently don't subscribe to. So we're like, how do we actually do good? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how do we actually uh, put some metrics behind what we're doing? And then, um, like, does it matter, right? Like, is what we're doing, does this actually matter? And, you know, when I look at sustainability, I look at sustainability of a business model, sure. right? How do we grow a long-term sustainable business? And to me, that keeps people employed. It keeps us growing, keeps our investors happy. And, and to me, like, keeping our business alive is is the, the most sustainable thing I could do. Awesome. Um, there were a lot of things you just said that I learned a lot from, and there were also things where I follow up questions because I don't necessarily know what, <laughs> what they mean. So uh, give me like your 30-second version of what blockchain means in terms of a battery. Like how does that – maybe that's a complicated question, but no, how does it, that function? We, we can make it real simple. So mm -hmm. our batteries are like an iPhone mm -hmm. with a huge energy storage on them. Mm -hmm. Right, so our batteries are human scale, um, anywhere from 27 pounds to about 48 pounds, and they're made for smaller devices. So anything from e-bikes to e-mopeds to motorcycles, delivery robots, um, they could even power like a welder. Mm -hmm. Right, so we've got these small human scale batteries, and they're always connected. So we leaned into that and said, well, what, what can you do with an always connected battery? Mm. It can't be stolen. So if it's always connected, we always know where it's at. We could geofence it, right? We can, um, that was like the very beginning. Got it. Um, but because that battery is always connected, the data that it's spinning off can be captured. Mm. And we can throw away data that doesn't matter, but like if there's an event like a crash, mm -hmm. that's recorded. And then that always stays with the battery. Say, hey, this impact was was so-and-so. Or if the battery's always supercharged, right? If the battery's always pushed to its max, charged to 100% quick and then discharged. We know that. Mm. So because these batteries are so valuable and it takes so much time and effort to make them, we want to use them in a second source, which is for energy storage, mm. right? Energy is becoming a, a really big issue. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to have to remake these, tear them out and, you know, recycle them. We want to be able to take that package and know that we could put into energy storage for 12 months, 24 months, three years, five years, whatever it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So all that blockchain means is we take that data because it's always connected, it's it's putting it into the cloud, um, you know, some other buzzwords. It goes to a big data lake, and then you you compound that data. Mm. Um, but in a real sense, it just tells you second, third, fourth use. Like, what has this battery been through, and what's it good for? 
Got it. Got does, it. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. it does. Okay. It does. Cool. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. So let's let's get into what you're doing now. I think we're kind of going that direction anyway. So tell me more about land. That's what we introduced you on. We know that you're doing uh, e-mobility and swappable batteries. Where did the company come from? What was like the spark for this? That that's a great question. So I think we went like super deep, but now let's yeah yeah I think we gotta go back. <laughs> let's start from the top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, because I've been obsessed with mobility, right? Cars and bikes and planes and trains and snowboards and bicycles, anything that moves, it's kind of a, a big passion of mine. Mm -hmm. And because I had so much experience with manufacturing gas motorcycles, the obvious transition was to do electric motorcycles, mm -hmm. at least in my mind, mm -hmm. right? Um, Can I ask what made that obvious to you? Like what made you go, why not just keep doing gas motorcycles? Why uh, e-bikes now? Or sure. E um, th there's a lot of reasons, but I can say there's three kind of defining moments. Mm -hmm. So ethanol has been put into our fuel supply. Mm -hmm. Ethanol absorbs water. Mm -hmm. If you have a small container of gas that now has ethanol in it, it absorbs water, evaporates, and leaves gum. Mm -hmm. So small gas engines are having a lot of problems with ethanol and mm -hmm. the fuel supply, right? Not a political statement, just, just a factual statement. Sure. Um, and especially in the Midwest where you store vehicles for any period of time, uh, we were having a lot of issues. The ethanol and the fuel supply made it, uh, made very angry customers, mm. right? Because why doesn't this thing work? And it's like, oh, well, hard to explain. Yeah. Uh, and then globally, the government has clearly put a headwinds in the way of us continuing with gas. So Again, not a political statement, just a fact. It has become very difficult to sell bikes in India that are gas. Very difficult to sell bikes in Europe that are gas. And even in the U.S., um, with the biggest market being California, the Air Resource Board was putting a lot of new regulations for gas. Mm -hmm. So we looked at this and said, well, we can continue as a small company to spend a million, a million five a year to do all the compliance for evaporative emissions and, and exhaust emissions, all this, right? Mm -hmm. Or we could just focus on a tailwind, right, where the whole industry is moving and be a leader in electric mobility. Mm -hmm. So, and we tried to keep both going parallel. Quickly, it, it became obvious to our whole group that we had to abandon gas because it's like big ideas completely different shift in how you manufacture and think about, right? Like we went from fossil fuels, right? A, a thing that is dictated by the motor and holding gasoline to a thing that was completely unconstrained. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to keep going back and forth. So that's when we made the decision to move towards e-mobility. But then we quickly realized that this is a computer on wheels. Mm-hmm. And compute is everything, and what do you need to compute? You need energy. Mm -hmm. So it it quickly led to the company. Our you know official name is Land Energy. Mm -hmm. The brand is Land. But it it quickly became evident to us. And, and again, we're designers. We're always you know digging deeper. The energy was the reason for being. So the path to the energy was interesting, mm -hmm. right? It was bikes, and then but once we truly understood what we had with these mobile swappable connected batteries, that's when we're like, oh, oh, this isn't like a hundred million idea. This is, this is like a billion dollar idea. Like this is, this is huge. Mm -hmm. So it, it quickly went from, oh, just doing some cute, fun e-bikes to 
Big business. A, a real big opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Remind me when you founded Land. So Land was officially uh, 2000. 2000. I say officially because the path to, it, it was messy. Yeah. So you already had to take a mindset shift from going from gas motorcycles to going into electronic mobility. Mm-hmm. But it's also been 23 years. So how has the strategy or operation of land changed over that time? Land was funded by Cleveland Psych Works. So <laughs> yeah. we went from, uh, I had a gas business that was funding, but was just sucking all the energy out of everyone, right? Because mm-hmm. we were having to deal with carburetor issues and fuel injection issues and fuel delivery, like all the stuff of a keep it going. It was great because it was funding. We didn't need any investors. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I quickly went to my whole team, like total mutiny. They're like, F this, we're not doing this anymore. Like, make a decision. And I'm like, I get what you guys are saying, but you don't understand, like, I'm funding this through the profits of that. Mm -hmm. So there was a clear line drawn in the sand where my whole team was like, end it. And I woke up one morning and I felt light and I was like, oh, I'm ready. Mm. Right? Like, I believe in this enough. So we went from like a keep it going to a spinoff to like, all right, we're done. And now we're going to completely think like a venture backed, or we're going to completely think like a startup. Mm. Um, And that decision was like overnight for the whole team. Mm. And then we quickly pivoted. And then, you know, I went from a keep it going from an operator to a um, kind of razzle dazzle man, right? I had Mm. to put on my PT Barnum and and sell what we were doing. So Mm. I went from a like, the product is king to the vision is king. Mm. So the, the path was pretty interesting. And, you know, sitting here in the Midwest, like, you do great things, but you don't often talk about the great things you're doing. Sure. You kind of downplay them. And I quickly oh, realized... it's just a little old motorcycle <laughs> business. That's it's right. It's no big deal. I quickly realized that we had to we had to really talk about what we were doing and, and talk about how great it was. And yeah, so we went from a, you know, don't talk about it, keep it quiet, to a, we've got to tell everyone how great we are. That, that, that was a, a mind shift that was a bit difficult. Yeah. What are your hopes for the future of the company? That's a good question. Um, well, we're working with EY again here, mm-hmm. um, and we want to get the battery factory moving now. Mm. Um, so uh, give you an idea of where we're at. So we went from idea to production. So we designed, developed, engineered a two-wheel e-mobility platform, and an entire battery platform. Mm. So that's, and we did it with very little money. We did that with about 3 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, put that in perspective. So it, it took our competitors 50 to 100 million to mm. do that, right? And we did it on three. Um, now there's a lot of know-how, right? Everyone that is in the team has done connected devices or motorcycles, or we've all been in the space. So I think with the collective um, kind of brain trust, we were able to get there quickly. Um, so we're in production. We're doing um, probably do over a thousand vehicles in the next twelve months, uh, and over a thousand batteries. So now we're leaning heavily into connected battery. We're creating our own IP BMS connectivity modules. We're creating all the hardware ourselves. So the next step is to be you know call it a half a giga plant, right? We're we're scaling up now the battery manufacturing. And, and to be clear, we don't do the battery. We don't do the cell. Okay. We do everything around the cell. Okay. Um, so we're, we work with cell providers to do the battery, but lithium-ion batteries, um, it's not like a, a AA battery. Mm. Without the IoT, without the battery management system, without all of the electronics, they don't work. They don't function. So, um, so that's what we're leaning heavily into, and we're um, looking at now – 
getting in our first big uh, B2B, our, our a first business to use our batteries outside of our vehicles. That's the next big step. So what do we see? You know, the vision is this battery ecosystem of a, a battery that can be used for many different things. Home backup, home storage, you know, in your RV, right? And you pull it out, put it into your e-bike, pull it out, put it into your motorcycle. You know, you could use it a, re a rescue battery for your, your EV, mm -hmm. use it for camping. So this idea of like cross-platformable power, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's becoming a, a really big idea. We're probably three years ahead of the market, mm -hmm. um, but we see that as being a, kind of the next frontier. So taking it out of just, you know, stop being a cutie bike company and, yeah. and start, start doing some of the things we've been doing behind the scenes. Yeah, I'd never even heard of swappable batteries until I bought a house and got a... Uh, you know, lawnmower that could also have a shared battery with my snow blower. Mm -hmm. And that seemed like uh, brand new information to me. So you've 23 years ahead of me for sure. <laughs> well, and so, yeah, I mean, what's funny though, is like when I was working for TTI, so TTI owns brands like Rigid, so Rigid mm -hmm. Tools, Ryobi Tools, yeah, Dirt Devil, Hoover. Uh, we were working on swappable batteries for uh, vacuums for like stick vacs. Mm -hmm. So got a little exposure to that and saw how big of an idea that could be. I think TTI is probably over 12 billion still. Mm. And you know, everyone says, oh, well, Milwaukee tools or, you know, rigid tools or OB tools. And I think like, oh, well, Ryobi batteries. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think Ryobi platform. I, you know, I, I think of it slightly different. I mean, the batteries um, what sold us is we have, yeah, Ryobi yeah products in the house. And that was because we thought, why do I want to charge more than one? Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and that's, that's where the, um, being in the industry, that's where we see how big this is becoming yeah. because we're moving from a world of things that move to a world of things that compute. Mm. Whether you want to go down this path or not, this is where we're going as a society mm -hmm. and you need energy to compute, right? So electric cars are energy with compute. Mm -hmm. Electric bikes are energy with compute. Electric uh, lawnmowers are maybe energy with not a lot of compute, but <laughs> energy being used, right? Sure. So we look at that and we're saying, well, if everything's moving to compute, um, you really need energy storage. Um, and, you know, something we don't talk about a lot, uh, but the big focus is doing it here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one thing we're leaning heavily into is our U.S. manufacturing vertically integrating, vertically integrating in a big way in the Midwest, uh, locally sourcing. And, you know, of course, when we move to Europe and we move to other countries, we will locally source for, for those locations. But most of the IT, most of the tech, everything's growing out of kind of our U.S. innovation. Got it. Well, it sounds like you and Land certainly have a lot to be proud of in terms of what you're doing now and what you hope to do in the future. And I've learned a lot from talking to you today, Scott. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. Um, how about you let the audience know how they can keep up with you and land if they want to learn more? Sure. So you can reach out to me through email, scott at land.email, or you can find us on the web at land.bike. And if you'd like to stay connected with our show, be sure to follow us on TikTok at ATG Show. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, you can check out our YouTube channel, All Things Green Show. You can find all our sources from today's episode in the show notes and all things green will be back at the same time next week. Thank you, Scott, for being a part of the global sustainability movement. Thanks for having me.